You are listening to Hands at Work Audio. For digging deeper on November 9th from the Hands at Work Hub in South Africa, Tyler Ralph speaks about vital spiritual rhythms and disciplines and how we must remain hungry for the Holy Spirit. So this morning I wanted to start sharing um, a bit of a story of a boy named Michael who grew up in England. And so <clears throat> Michael, when he was about 12 years old or so, he realized he had this deep love for soccer or football or whatever you want to call it. And he begged his parents, let me join a soccer team. I, I desperately want to play on a team. And they let him. And he joined that team. He loved it. And for him, he always loved playing the matches. For him, it wasn't really the practices. He loved being on the team and playing in the matches. Like the other boys his age, he stayed in soccer over the years as he grew up. He continued to play soccer. And as he, he grew older, he became quite good at it. And around 20 years old or so, he realized how deep his love for soccer had gotten. And he wanted to take it more seriously. He wanted to go farther with his soccer. He had dreams of being Ronaldo. He wanted to be Cristiano Ronaldo. And so he joined a more serious team and they practiced three days a week and they played a game on the weekend. They trained hard. And that was his soccer life. But outside of that, Michael, his personal life looked very different. He started to get much into partying with his friends. They were drinking, drugs, all those kind of things. And they moved from just partying on the weekend, it started showing up in the week, and that became their routine. He started doing that every week. So now Michael, as I said, Michael's love was always for playing matches on the weekend. It wasn't for the practices. And so as he, his life, his personal life started to be challenging, that's what started to be affected, is he stopped going to practices at times. And when he did go, he was often hung over and babalaza. And so he, he, he struggled, right? He, he came with half energy and couldn't really run. His coach at that time saw that in Michael and he said to him, you're, you're in a very dangerous place right now. The way you're living, you're, you're getting ready to throw everything you've worked for away. And so that weekend the coach said, because of the way you're playing, you're not gonna play this weekend. You're gonna sit on the bench and you're gonna watch the rest of the team. And that's what happened. And so Michael's dream was still to play soccer. That's what he wanted for himself. He wanted to play professionally. And so he, what he did at that point, he realized I'm heading in a tough direction. He said, I'm gonna tone down the drinking just a bit. I'm gonna take it back just a bit. And he started showing up more to practices and he was putting in just enough effort now that he wasn't going to get kicked off the team. He could kind of float under the radar and just stay on the team, not go anywhere. But he wasn't going to um, put in too much. So he continued to struggle. I mean, he often fell asleep. Even they'd have planning meetings for the game that was coming up and he would just fall asleep in the meetings at times. It went like that for Michael. This became Michael's story. And for many years he watched those friends, the people he played with got drafted up 
into the professional leagues, and he was playing professionally, or they were playing professionally, sorry, but not him. His love for soccer was forever competing with his friends, his partying, girls, and just doing what he wanted. By 30 years old, um, Michael was married and they were expecting their first child. And that was kind of the time that something woke up in Michael and he realized he, he didn't have much time left and he wanted to start taking it serious. He wanted to take his soccer career serious, so he started showing up to every practice ready to go, working harder in the gym, pushing himself harder, eating well, sleeping well. He worked hard, and he'd been the, he was in the best shape he'd ever been. And so because of that, some of the professional teams started to notice him. But one by one, they each told him, you're too old now. Even at 30 years old, you're too old to join our team. You can't start a professional career at 30. So he missed his chance because of the choices that he was making in his life. He missed his opportunity for a professional career. And he became depressed and he quit soccer. He began drinking more. It was hard on his wife and his kids. But that became Michael's story. That's who he was. It took many years, even from that point, for him to accept in his heart that it was the things that he chose to do previously that led him to this place he's at now. He realized, when he got to that point, he realized he never had the discipline it took to be a professional soccer player. So, because his, the, the person he looked up to is Ronaldo. I wanna just pause and look at Ronaldo's routine. This is what Ronaldo looks like on a daily basis. He works out for four hours a day. He does several cardio sessions. He has high intensity sprint drills, tactical exercises to develop his skill and his ball control. He takes meals every two to three hours, which means he eats six times a day. He avoids drinking lots of sugary drinks, food like Coke, those kind of things. So he has a diet rich. <laughs> Should I pause there for a minute? <laughs> he has a diet rich with vitamins, minerals, vegetables, salads, high in fiber and protein because he needs to maintain his body fat percentage. He, has a, he sleeps eight to nine hours in the day, so he has the energy to do what he needs to do. This is what Ronaldo does. This is his daily routine. This is how he plays at the level he plays at. And if you look at a weekly routine, even for a team at like a university level, this is what their weekly routine looks like. Monday, they go to the gym, they have soccer practice. Tuesday, soccer practice. Wednesday, gym, soccer practice. Thursday, gym, soccer. Friday, soccer, and then they have a game planning session where they plan strategy. Saturday is a light practice in the morning and a game in the evening. Friday, they rest. By around the age of 19 or so, someone who's headed for professional leagues should have about 10,000 hours already playing with the soccer ball. That's how much time they've logged with it. So when you look at that, and you look at Michael's story, you recognize he was never gonna be Ronaldo, we know that. 
but he also, he never had the discipline in his life to play professionally. He couldn't play competitively. He hoped his natural abilities, the things that he automatically had in his life, would carry him all the way through. He dreams of soccer, but the whole time, his flesh, his body is at war with those things. The partying, the drinking, those things. Always competing with his love for soccer. The only thing was he didn't, he didn't recognize that he was in a war. So I'm going to put that story right here. But when we were in Zambia in October, Blessings led us in a session. And he was talking about rhythms in our week, in our day. And when I was, I was thinking about what is a rhythm, and my understanding of the rhythm is that it's a strong, regular, repeated pattern. And for us, we're talking about what does that look like in our lives? When you look at that football example, you saw it in Ronaldo, you saw the things that he did every day so he could compete at that level. You see the things that it takes weekly to be able to compete at that level of soccer. <clears throat> I, I think when I walked away from October, this was maybe the session that challenged me the most in my heart. I was deeply blessed to be sitting in that room and hear what, what was shared with us by blessings. So I'm gonna do my best to, to share a few things that, what, from what he said that really touched my heart. I, I know in that session I felt deeply challenged and convicted by some of the things that he said, and by the way that I'm living my life today. I, when, I, when I heard him sharing, I was thinking about the casualness that I walk with in my life. I was thinking about the lack of discipline in my life, the lack of urgency to the things I, I want to do. And I realize the patterns and the things that I've set up are not necessarily what's in my heart. It's not, it doesn't reflect what I want for myself. One of the things that he said was, people will often say what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. So he was, he was talking to us about, think of the way that we care for our bodies. The way that we eat, the way that we exercise. Now, I mean, a lot of us do those things to look good, but that's an aside. More importantly, we do those things because we need our bodies to be healthy so it can do the things we need it to do, which is the same principle for us spiritually. When you neglect your spirit, you become weak and vulnerable. It's like an unused muscle. In the same way as training for soccer, Michael can't expect to show up once a week and play at a professional level and play in a game. And we can't do that with our faith. We can't treat our faith like that. We often desire to be that Ronaldo in our faith. But like Michael, we somehow inside, we want it to come easy. We just want it to be there when we need it. We don't want to have to put in the work and the effort to make it. But faith is like the muscles we need for soccer. It must be cultivated and grown. The muscle doesn't know what to do on its own. It has to be trained to learn that. And we train it day in and day out. 
when we practice. So at game time, your muscles already know what to do. That's what muscle memory is. And our, through our spiritual rhythms, we hope to do the same thing so that our spirit is ready for when we need it. We're able to use those things that we've learned. I think, like I said, one of the challenges for me is not recognizing that this is urgent for us. It's hard to see in the day-to-day, -day, why is this so urgent? But our eternity is at risk here. We talk much about our internal inheritance in October. And when we're not ready, it feels like, I know from, at least for me, there's times where I feel like a gentle breeze can knock me over when I'm not prepared. And not only that, but have we ever thought about the way how we're doing spiritually affects those around us? Yeah. We have the ability to drain each other's spiritual tank. When we lack that spiritual maturity, we have that, we have that power to affect other people's well-being, to affect the way that they see and perceive things. Have you ever walked into a meeting and you started off your day, you're feeling good with energy, you're enthusiastic, you're ready for an expectant for what's gonna happen and you look around the meeting and you just see people falling asleep and looking off to whatever. How does that make you feel? The way that it can drain you. We affect each other's spiritual well-being. So we, know, we owe it not only to ourselves, we have a responsibility to each other here. It's one thing to think about it for yourself and know when I make decisions in my life, I know that affects me. I'm a, I think everyone knows that. But do we recognize how it's going to affect each other around us? How it's going to affect people here at hands and beyond? That's why we're talking about rhythms. We need daily rhythms in our, in our life. Not just the weekly, we need daily rhythms in our life. Every day we need to be feeding and protecting our spirit. So the first thing the blessings shared with us was talking about the importance of prayer. Being, being prayerful is one of our non-negotiables. In Ephesians 6 it says, Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul's telling us to pray constantly, every day. He's not saying, okay, you can pray, pray once a month or so, pray when you're in trouble, and then I'll listen to you. He's saying, he's saying pray constantly and for all things. That's where my strength comes from. That's how we exercise the spirit inside us. Without prayer, I become that weak Christian. I'm easily led in different directions. I was so convicted listening to blessings talk about his rhythms, his prayer rhythms. He started sharing for him. He wakes up at four o'clock every day to make time for God because he knows when he, if he waits and the kids are awake, that's, that looks different. I mean, that's, that's what my mornings look like, trying to fit in God somewhere between Hayden wanting this and Ruby crying about that. And he, but he's saying, I wake up at four o'clock every day. I mean, he did admit sometimes, I think Prudence, his wife, has to give him a little kick out of bed. 
but he's but in in general he's set up that routine for the last 10 years that's how he's been doing it and when you look at blessings there's no one who can dispute that you can see it in his life you can see the fruit from him the evidence is there i have to admit that my prayer life is not all that i want it to be or it should be and ever since we met in september gathering and we challenged each other on that I've been trying to set up a better rhythm in our house for the sake of my family, because I know that's where our protection is, that's where our unity is as a family, in that prayer. And I haven't been treating it like that. Without prayer, bitterness creeps in our heart. When someone is infected with bitterness, it just leaks out of their mouth, right? They talk about, did you see what Vusi did yesterday? George doesn't know what he's doing. I can't stand Daytona. Those things just start to come out and it goes into everyone's ear and they hear that and it infects us. It's contagious. We can all catch that from each other. How easy it is to gossip and it just spreads like nothing. That's bitterness. Can you recognize the effect of your emotional maturity in people in this room? The people we live with, we work together with, can you see your reactions, yourself in other people? It might not be easy to think about it right this exact moment, but I bet if I gave us enough time, we could sit there and recognize ourselves and other people. For those of us who have kids, have you ever seen your maturity coming out in your kids? Have you heard your words coming out of your child's mouth? That's probably one of the most humbling things ever. That cut me deep as Hayden started to speak. You know, you pray so long, you're like, I want my kid to speak, speak. And then they do, and you're like, yeesh. <laughs> now he sounds like me. But, but the serious part is that I, I can recognize in Hayden's reactions and his words what I've taught him, not through, not necessarily what I've intentionally taught him, but what he's picked up just from watching me. So I'm not talking about what you say to people, because what you say is one thing, but people are watching. People are learning from each other, and how are we affecting each other? Maybe if I can push it a bit further on us. Can you see where you show up to prayer meetings late, or just on time, that it affects other people who have prepared for that morning? Yeah. Did you know that? When you allow yourself to doze off in a prayer meeting, maybe you think, this is just me, I'm shutting off. But when you're not engaged, it affects other people spiritually around you. I think all of us have felt those times where we deeply feel the Holy Spirit and God's presence and those times where we don't. And it's, it's so easy. Sometimes it's just a matter of the way I see, I'm just picking on never, never react, can affect me and change which, which one I'm sitting in. If I'm sitting with the Holy Spirit or I'm now thinking about the weekend or what's to come. It's so easy to affect each other's well-being. And we're stuck between two worlds. We're constantly competing. The same way Michael was with soccer and the flesh, we compete spiritually and with the flesh every day. And without those regular routines in our life, we start backsliding. 
and become vulnerable to attack. If somehow we could only help ourselves understand the urgency with which we need to live our day-to-day -day lives. If we could catch that, I think we would pray differently. I think we would treat it differently. I think right now, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but there, a lot of times I feel like I have all the time in the world. I don't, I don't see anything or feel anything immediately in front of me that's saying, this is desperately urgent. And so it's easy for me to treat it like that, to treat it with the, not the respect it needs and without the urgency it needs in my life. But we all know life is too short, really. It can be gone while you're busy thinking about what tomorrow, plans you have for tomorrow. It can be snatched away from you like that. One of the big problems is we have so much focus. We talked about this a lot in October. We have so much focus on the here and now. So much time. Do you remember I shared briefly, Dan shared that illustration about he was temporarily, one week he's living in Blessing's house. How would it look if he started decorating it, painting the walls, treating it like this is my forever home, even though he's leaving in a week? That's how we treat this life. It's hard to see our internal inheritance, but the inheritance to come is we have to find a way to fix our thoughts on that internal inheritance, eternal inheritance. Paul said, I'm torn between two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. But for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. You know, and again, blessings was challenging me deeply on this. He was saying, even if you have nothing to share that day, Sometimes you, walk, you go into prayer knowing these are the things I desperately need prayer for. Some days you show up, you're not really sure what to pray for that day. He said, it doesn't matter. That's my time with God. I spend that continually. It's, the, it's in those quiet times that God speaks to us in a way that we can hear him. There's too many distractions in the busyness of our day-to-day -day lives. We need those quiet times. We need to remove the distractions. This prayer time is so important to us. I need to be able to say to Alicia, this time's sacred for me. I'm gonna be over here doing this. I need to switch off my phone. I need to be fully present in that. The second thing Blessings talked to us about was the Word of God. Do you value the Bible? Do we treat it as something that's precious to us? You know, one of the things he challenged us on was, he said, I look around at prayer meetings at times and I see people at the prayer meeting not showing up with their Bibles. Is that treating the Bible the way it should be? Is that seeing it as that precious thing, God's word for us? Job says, I've treasured God's words more than my daily food. Is God's word that important to me? In Hebrews 4, 12, it says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. He, I was also challenged when he said, How many times a day do you eat? 
I don't forget to eat. I never forget to eat. Yet how does that compare to my time in God's word? He expects more from us. He wants more from us. He wants us to value his word as Job does. The Bible is God's heart and his plan for our lives. And it's all revealed to us in this book. And I wonder if that's how we see it and that's how we treat it. And our time with, in God's word needs to cost us. It needs to push us past when it's convenient for me. Past those times where I'm like, uh, I don't really feel like it today. I'm a bit tired today. I'd rather do this. I know that's where I stumble. And we desperately need it to push us past those things. How much do we treasure our Bibles? How much do we hang on God's word? How often do we even read our Bibles? And do we read it in a way that it's any old book that we pulled off the shelf back there? Or do we read it in a way that we're expectant for what God's going to do through that word, what he wants to share with us that day in that moment? Do we dig into our Bible every day, or does it just make an appearance when we come to prayer meetings like this, and that's where you see it? What food is to the body, the Bible is to our spirit. And if you eat well, people will look at you and they'll know you're eating well. They'll see it on you. In a similar way, it's, it's, it's like our spirit. When, you, when you're not in God's word, when you're not in relationship with God, people will see it on you. When you're struggling, we feel like we're hiding it well, I think. I know there's times I feel like I'm saying the right things just to get by, but people can see it on me. We're not as good as we think we are at hiding it. We can't fake our way through this. It's going to take sacrifice and work for us to do it well. You know, I think we're all aware in some countries, you can't carry around a Bible. You're not free to do things like that. But here we are, and maybe it's because of that, I don't know why, but I think at times we take it for granted, the fact that we can be open with our faith, that we can walk around with our Bible, with share with each other. That's not a freedom everyone experiences. Do we, do we take that for granted, or can we treasure it in that way? We're not promised tomorrow. Job says, life is like a flower that grows quickly and then fades away. So what are we busy with? Where is the urgency in our spiritual lives? God never said to us, you've got lots of time, pace yourself, take it easy. Tomorrow isn't promised. In 2 Timothy, we're reminded to be good workers and someone who is always ready to explain the truth in a way that is pleasing to God. In order to do that, we obviously have to know our Bibles well. It has to be in you. You never know who God has lined up for you today to meet. Blessings challenge us further. He said, are you ready at any moment? He said, what if hands, and maybe we should, he was saying, stop preparing people to share. Not give you warning ahead of time, but you show up, and Carolyn looks at you and goes, Jackie, you're, you're going to share today. 
I, the point is, is it in you? Because if it's like that, there, there's no way to fake your way around that. It has to be in you. We should be ready in and out of season. <clears throat> One piece that George has challenged, I've heard him challenge us on a few times, is saying, is around, we're easily let off course. You know, we have people that we look up to in life, spiritually, and those things. And those people, like it or not, give us direction in our lives. They guide the way we move through our lives. And, and George was saying, even for those people, he was even speaking of himself. He said, even when you hear me, George, speak, he said, you must test everything you hear against the Bible. Because it's so easy to not have that knowledge in your head and someone to slowly pull you this way. Before you know it, you're over here and you, didn't know, you don't know why. But in order to protect ourselves, we have to know our Bible. The third thing Blessings was talking about was quiet time. <clears throat> this is when God speaks to us. Are we making quiet time for ourselves? Are we really... When I was looking at my routine, I was spending my mornings reading my Bible, but I wouldn't call that quiet time. It was chaotic and in between little moments, precious moments for me, but, but are we, I mean, there's no one, I don't think anyone can show up to your house and, and tell you what's what. That's something you have to work out in yourself. Where is your quiet time? In Isaiah 30, 15, it says, and quietness and confidence is your strength. Out of our quiet, quiet time, we're prepared for our day, for our week, for the things that God would have us face. That's where we can hear what God wants for us, what he wants us to say and to do. We struggle to listen in the midst of noise. It's tough. That the regular busyness of life distracts us from these things. We need that protected time for ourselves. We need to find times to shut off the world and just be alone with God and prioritize that time. Sometimes we just need to be still in order to hear what God's going to do. The last thing that he was sharing with us was going to church. Paul says, do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. He was urging the church. We're refreshed as we meet together in the house of God. We're protected by those who surround us and journey with us. We need people to hold us accountable. And here we're prepared for the things that we must face. We never know what God might have for us on, on a Sunday. But when we're not there, we miss it. Do we come to church prepared and expectant each time? Or we just show up and we want whoever's speaking to do all the work? We bring nothing when we've just shown up five minutes bef before church, prayer meeting starts, and we're, our eyes are still adjusting to the light. We're dull. Our preparation starts at home. We pray God can use us that day never know who I mean maybe in this room today you don't know you don't know when you go to church who's barely hanging on that day you don't know how God wants to use you that day 
you might change someone's life forever. Blessing said, when we're in the presence of God, anything we do can change someone's life. For those who have heard my story before, maybe some of you know it. Well, I know quite a few people know it. Um, when we first came to Hands, um, I mean, I was aware it was a Christian organization, but I was not a Christian. And it was difficult for me to be here. But I did my best. I said, I'm going to go to the prayer meetings and that, but I'm not going to let God touch my heart. Because I liked what I was doing at home. At least I thought I liked it. I liked the way I was living with my friends and my family. I mean, my friends, we were into partying and stuff. And that's, I was good with that. I didn't want to change that. And my friends, none of my friends knew God and weren't interested in it. They mocked it. And so for me to take that step would have big impact on my life going home. And I didn't want that. I fought against that. And we went to Zambia. And in a little dusty mud hut, I met a man named Peter. And Peter was crippled. He couldn't walk. His family had died or abandoned him. Some of them just left because they didn't want to look after him. And he was just left there. He stayed in bed all day, just left to die. But he had this faith and this expectation on God that did not make sense to me at the time. It, it was, I don't know what it did to my heart. I just felt like I need to go back tomorrow. And we did. But he did something deep in my heart. Because he had, in his life, that's all he had to hang on to. He was blessed in that sense because all he had was to turn his eyes to God and he trusted God for everything. He had joy on his face. And I'm thinking, this is the reason I don't believe in God. But through Peter's story and his, his faith and the joy that I saw on his face, he changed my life forever. And he didn't say anything to me. He didn't sit me down and go, let me tell you about who this God is. He just showed me. And he didn't mean to. That's who he was. He, and he changed my life forever in that moment. And it happened slowly. And it took some people helping me understand that's what it looks like when God speaks to you. Because I didn't know what it looked like. But he changed my life forever because of his love for God and his obedience. Unintentionally did that. So what more for us? Who does God want you to do that to? You never know any given moment. He might put something, someone in your path. How many home visits have you been on? We say we wait for, the Holy, for God to show up, right? How many times have you just seen this little switch get turned on and something deep and powerful happens in that home visit that you didn't expect? Now, my other question is, do you think George woke up one day, or anyone at hands, really who's, who's deeply, has such a deep relationship with God, who's so good at ministering to other people. Do you think that George just woke up one day when he became a Christian and it all just went boom? And he was able to minister so well, he jumped into Masoy where people were dying and gave them hope and was able to speak into people's lives in this way and disciple people in that way, did that just happen overnight? It doesn't work like that, right? 
Remember in Michael's story in the beginning, he, he started missing practice. He just wanted to show up for game time, and he just expected, I'm going to be ready. When game time comes, I'm going to be a professional player. But he didn't want to put in the work for it. He missed his chance because he waited too long. And he was waiting on his natural abilities, I guess, to, to push him through. You can't just turn on a spiritual switch when you need it. That's not how it works. It must be nurtured like a muscle, exercised with routine to make it effective to use it. And the stakes are high for us. We know not when the master of the house is returning. And if you're waiting to turn it on, you might miss it. We need to focus on our eternal inheritance. You know, Blessings was talking about this pastor, or sorry, an author who, he put a, he just put a little dot on the page, and then he put a line like this. And he said, this one dot represents this life, represents right here and right now. And this line, it represents eternity. And he said, 90% of people are living for that dot right there and can't even see this. Which one are we living for? It really is, it's an interesting race that we run because we're not sprinters who are just flat out to the end of the race because it's a short distance. We are marathoners running, but we do it with an intensity. And we run with the rhythms that provide us the strength and the determination to help us finish the race well. Mm -hmm. If we run too fast, we miss the people and the situation God's put it's right in front of us. You'll just run right by it. And if you run too slow, you're in danger of resting and taking a break. All the while, we know we run, but we know our race could finish at any moment, but we still run with our eyes fixed on the finish line far off. So I just want to finish with this, that our rhythms are vital for us. It's vital for us so that we can finish well. But it's not everything for us. Because I can be, I can do, I can be praying every day. I can be quiet. I can be reading my Bible. I can go to church consistently. But I can do it in a way that's empty. It can be just a re religious routine that I go through every day. Without the Holy Spirit to guide us and push us on, it just becomes empty rituals instead of life-giving and fruitful rhythms. We need the Holy Spirit. And we must be continuously hungry for more if we hope to finish our race well. It's the difference between, like I said about the Bible, it's the difference between reading your Bible like it's any old book you pulled off the shelf and reading it in a way that you're expectant and waiting. What does God want to speak to me today? Who does God want to use me? To share with. When I <laughs> spoke to Lynn, maybe a couple months ago or so, we were just talking about life and he was sharing with me what he's busy with right now. And he said he's busy looking at his goals in his life 
and where he's headed. But the part that <laughs> affected me was he said, I'm not just looking at my goals. He said, I'm looking at how I spend my day to day. And is what I'm doing today helping me reach that goal? And when he said that, I thought, I, I know something inside my brain switched off a bit because I thought, I can see what he's saying. And if I listen to that, it's going to mean I have to do something big in my life and change because I can recognize I might have goals, but it's a bit like Michael. I'm waiting, just hoping that that will happen and not recognizing that what I'm doing today is setting me up for that goal. And then I'm disappointed when I don't hit that goal, but I don't draw it back to this is why I didn't hit my goal. I don't, yeah, I think, again, like Michael, I didn't, I don't want to put in the sacrifice it takes at times. I struggle with that. I just want to make it on my own abilities. I have some big changes to make in my daily choices and rhythms. I think Blessings and Lynn both help me. Um, Help me with that. And I hope some of those pieces spoke to you also. I was so challenged by the way Blessing shared it in October. And I hope I've done it some justice that you can pick out little things in your own routine, that you recognize how important your rhythms are in your life and how important it is to look at what you're busy with right now and, how, and the outcome later. I mean, sometimes it takes a long time, so it's hard to see the connection between what you're doing today and where you end up next year. But that's what it is. So maybe I'll end, I'm gonna leave it here with, with Lynn's question for us to leave us something to think about. Are your daily rhythms bringing you closer to reaching your goals? Are your daily rhythms bringing you closer to reaching your goals? And if not, what are you gonna do about it? Thank you for joining us. www.handsatwork.org